How about that? <laughs> Which door? A, B, or C? <laughs> you know, it was nice to hear Ben play the piano this morning. Uh, he was a pinch hitter, as you know. And Pat had a fall down in Mexico, if you weren't here for Sabbath school, and broke some fingers on her hand. And for a keyboard person or a flute player, which she is, that's, that's a serious um, episode and we're praying that they will heal and heal soon. I must say that my grandson broke his finger in a different way. He was playing flag football about a month ago and he was playing defense and so he was racing after the, the boy running, the, carrying the ball and he got his finger somehow ensnared in the belt and the flag and the guy spun and it broke, it broke this uh, little joint here, two little pieces of bone broke off. And he, uh, the specialist, used a pin and he didn't even have to open it and he pinned those things back in place through the skin, into the bone, into the bone it was needing to heal to. And he just called me yesterday, he was all excited because he's playing basketball and, and the doctor told him that his finger was well. So I pray that that day will happen for you, Pat, soon. I had some excitement uh, Thursday night. I, uh, you know, when you're a bachelor or a bachelorette, you can pretty well do what you want to do. And I heard in the news about the lunar eclipse and I checked out the time. It was going to start, you know, about one o'clock or so. And I said, you know, I'm going to watch that. And so I got me a blanket and went out on my, my artificial turf backyard, laid that down. Then I got another nice warm and cuddly blanket to put on top of me. And I got a, a big pillow. And I lay down back there and I didn't go back to sleep, but I looked up and I thought, you know, I think it's already starting. And I had my binoculars and my smartphone, and every 10 minutes thereafter, I began to take pictures and uh, take a look at it. And sure enough, gradually the occlusion of the moon came to where it was complete. All you could see was a glow around the darkness of the moon, which um, of course re reflects the, the light of the sun that is reflected. When you think about it, our sun, is so much bigger than the earth that we can't even imagine. And it's passing at tremendous speed through the, the, through the galaxies. And this earth at the appropriate distance so that we have water and air and livable space, we're spinning around the sun. And then um, also a part of the life-giving uh, situation here on this planet, we have a moon that's about a fourth the size of our Earth, just at the right distance so it can hold its orbit going around the Earth as the Earth goes around the Sun, as the Sun is rocketing through space. And I thought, who are the scientists that figured out how to tell us when the eclipse is going to be? Um, I, that's above my pay grade. But I thought as I lay there watching the eclipse, um, the heavens declare the glory of God 
and the firmament showeth his handiwork. We have a marvelous God. And, and he has a plan for us. In spite of, the, we talked in Sabbath school about sin is in our DNA. But whosoever will can come and receive the gift and God will change that DNA. And write on the fleshy tablets of our mind and our heart the principles of rightness. To do right because it is right. All of God's instructions are for our good, as we've been learning in our Sabbath school lessons. Well, I want to talk today about a special word, but before I do, you know, Jesus spoke about the times in which we are living. Uh, you remember the word pestilence? And that's not the word, but that is a word. How many think we've had a pestilence here lately in the last couple of years? Um, you know, we, we've uh, probably all of us in this room have had someone that either was seriously sick or died because of COVID-19. Um, that's not the only pestilence that's been around, the Black Plague. And, you know, we could, we could say that uh, uh, there were quite a, there's a number of others that we could name. But there are earthquakes and fires and floods and hatred and distrust and scarcity of true love or real love. There are famines and persecutions and there are conspiracy theories. You know, we're not to believe everyone that spins a yarn who's on the radio or on television. Uh, or just because it, you get it on the internet doesn't make it true necessarily. Um, our real enemy is not a Republican or not a Democrat, is not Trump. Our real enemy is Satan. He is the one that is out to get you. And so I, I want to have you look with me at um, uh, my, my title is Endure Until the End. You know, the word endure is the word I want us to think about. You know, when I think of endurance, I often think about uh, mountains I've climbed and when I was tired and my muscles were shaky. I think about 10 Ks when I used to run 10 Ks and, and I'd get to about, I'd hit the wall about, now I should have ran marathons, but I, I pretty much stayed with 10 Ks, which is about 6.2 miles. And you know, you'd, you'd get so tired and somebody would have the gall to run their sprinkler out in front of their yard as you're running by to tempt you to stop running and to go lay under the water and get cooled off. Um, I, I, I remember, I think about eight times I ran the Beta Breakers in San Francisco and there was somebody that ran a sprinkler, I think every time, and I was sure sore tempted, but mine eye was on the finish line. You know, I wanted to, Endure until the end. And that's the title of my sermon, to endure until the end. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, you well remember that uh, Jesus was with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. I'm looking, and by the way, I'm not going to show the text on the screen. So I hope you still bring your Bible to church. And if you don't, there's a pew Bible right in front of you and you can use it. But Matthew 24, a well-known chapter to Seventh-day Adventists and all Christians. It says in verse three, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, 
tell us when will these things be? Uh, because back in chapter 20, actually going all the way back uh, to the beginning of chapter 23, Jesus, uh, he really gave the scribes and the Pharisees a hard time. Uh, he called them hypocrites. He called them blind guides and fools and blind and serpents and a brood of vipers. And yet Jesus found no joy in calling them out. They were spoken with tears in his voice. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says that many of the scribes also believed. The time came when many of them accepted Christ as the Messiah. But um, he had, if you look at the end of chapter 23, it says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You know, he's looking at Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets the very ones who came to give you the knowledge of salvation and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Uh, Sam, in our lesson, when we talk about how God wants to give us life, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still wants us to have life. He wants us, but we have to accept it. I'm glad we're not robots. Once in a while, when I wrestle with my temptations, I think, Lord, just fix it, you know. <laughs> but he won't do it without my cooperation, my exercise of my free will, to choose to do right because it is right. And so he said, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing see and relate this to when he rode the donkey then to Jerusalem the same week that this message came. And he began to have great convulsions of grief. He was weeping over Jerusalem. Thousands of people were in town for the Passover. And yet most of them bought the, if we could call it this, you know, conspiracy theory that this is just a false Christ. He's not the true Messiah. And Jesus wept for them. And here he says, see your house has left you desolate. Um, you will see me no more till they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so he's now out on the Mount of Olives, just outside, across the brook from the gates, uh, the walls of Jerusalem. I've been in the garden and looked at the old olive trees that are probably they look old enough to have gone back 2,000 years, um, where Jesus often went to pray. But um, the disciples, as they were alone with him, they said, when will these things be? He was talking about the, the final things that would happen to those that don't believe, who reject the redemption that God comes to offer. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age, or the end of the world, as it is sometimes translated. And so you remember, just to summarize briefly, uh, Jesus' very first thing he said in verse 4, he said to them, take heed that no one deceive you. Now, I don't know about you, but a deception implies a conspiracy theory. I'd like to suggest that Satan spun the first conspiracy theory. He shall not surely die. God knows that in the day you partake of this fruit, you'll become like God's, knowing good and evil. The thing about it was that's true. 
They already knew good, but now they knew evil. The consequences led to one of their sons murdering the other son. It, that consequences led to the garment of opaque light that God gave them as his perfect created beings. It vanished and they found themselves embarrassed. And they experienced for the very first time fear. They feared the very one who gave them life. And so they hid out in the bushes, as Sam said this morning, and God knew where they were. Can we ever hide from God? But he said, where are you? And Adam replied, I was afraid, for I was naked. Now, some of my worst dreams, I shouldn't even say this, is to come before church prepared to preach and realize I'd forgot to put my pants on. Um, uh, and what a wonder it was when I wake up and find out that wasn't true. Uh, and so I can understand Adam and Eve being concerned. Though in, in the creation story, just in the previous chapter, it says they were naked and they were not ashamed. Go figure that out. But he was the only man and she was the only woman and she was made like him and they were a pair. Isn't that cool? Um, well, looking at Matthew 24, going on a little further, the conspiracy theory of Satan, he's got many conspiracy theories in which he wants to deceive you and me. Uh, and he has lots of helpers. We live in a world in which there's a lot of doubt. No faith in politicians, no faith in medical technology, no faith in drug companies, maybe for sure drug companies. <laughs> Even though um, polio kind of got stopped because of uh, the, the science, not all medical people are evil. You know, I've, I was talking to somebody about not wanting to have vaccines and you're right to make that choice. But I, but I said, you know, and I was talking to someone who was a dentist and doubting the vaccines were correct. He said, what makes you think that you're the only medical person that has the good of people at heart? Don't you think there's some other honest doctors and technicians and even drug producers that really want to make our world a better place? You know, we don't have to make uh, demonize something that doesn't need to be demonized. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, I'm not trying to defend in Pollyanna the whole story that, you know, there's, uh, there's a little bit of good in everybody. Well, well, that's true. But there's also a little bit of bad in everybody too. Um, and the truth is, if we're not careful, there's a little bit of hypocrite in you and in me. But, um, here in, in this chapter, Jesus said, take heed that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm Christ and will be and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And these will, there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. 
then he speaks about religious intolerance. Um, I subscribe to some journals having to do with the voice of the martyrs, which uh, publishes stuff every month having to do with there are countries like North Korea and China where religious freedom is not practiced like we at least like to practice it here in this country. And there are Islamic extreme nations that uh, kill people or stone them or cut off their heads because they are different than what they are. And here it says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. They will be hated, you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be off offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. Uh, if that's, I think that's a fulfillment of prophecy. Not that that hasn't happened before in the history of the world, but uh, I, I don't think I remember um, the diatribe of bitterness that there is between ideologies as we see in our world right now. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Um, then there's, you know, there in, in Matthew 24 and 25, there are three key things that I like to think of. Jesus said, watch. That means pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to the prophecies and then pay attention to what's happening in the world. And don't become a little prophet and run ahead of God and make it say something it doesn't say. Jesus said, I tell you ahead of time so that when it happens, you will recognize that it happened. Don't think you're smarter than the Holy Spirit's inspiration of the prophets. But to watch, that is, pay attention to Scripture and pay attention. That's, that's why it's okay to watch the news. You don't have to believe everything, but neither do you need to become a skeptical of every newscaster that they're all a bunch of whatever. Um, I think that watching and praying, and then he says, be ready. That's a trilogy of thoughts that come from this Matthew 24 and 25. There's another trilogy of thoughts, and we've come to it right now. It says, after it says there'll be false prophets, and, and we could name a few that's happened in the last hundred years in this country and in the world. And then it says, because lawlessness will abound, disrespect for law, uh, the love of many, now, Bible speaks of love, vertical love, love for God is the first great commandment. And then we are to love each other. And by this shall all men that know, will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. But here it says that the love of many will grow what? Cold. What does that imply? It gets to where you can drive by a homeless person and not even care. Where you, you know, it's, it's hard enough to love the uh, to love the people that are near you, but it's how do we love somebody on the other side of the world, you know? But God has commissioned us to be lovers of people. And so uh, lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And then the key phrase for our sermon today, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. That is... Uh, a statement that he made earlier in, in uh, chapter uh, 10 of Matthew, verse 22, he said that he that endures unto the end shall be saved. To endure, to last, 
to stand. Um, it, it means that you have the faith and the resolve and the power to stand, to stand pain and hardships and, and yes, suffering and trials and losses, sorrow and persecution. It means to persevere, to be faithful, patient in all our trials, to not let anyone steal your crown, as John the Revelator said in the seven churches. Don't let anyone steal your assurance in Christ Jesus. And so uh, to endure, to be, have, have uh, endurance. Now it's interesting that the word endurance is only mentioned two times. And we're gonna look at both of them here today. But the word endure is used as a verb, is used 111 times to endure, to persevere, to be able to stand, having done all to stand for what you believe in these troubled days that Jesus spoke about. Um, you know, Satan, as I mentioned, is our enemy. And he loves to divert our hatred, our dislike to other entities. Let's remember who our enemy is in the times in which we live. Um, now, I, I, there's another passage. I want to have you go to Luke chapter 21 because we are living in troubled times with all of the pestilences and earthquakes and fires and floods and hatred and distrust. <clears throat> um, Luke chapter 21 and verse 25, um, it says, oh, no wonder it didn't look right. I was happening to be in John. <laughs> Sorry about that. Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon. That's what I looked at Thursday night was the eclipse of the moon. But of course it refers to the blood appearing as blood and the sun being dark. You know, the three great signs that are spoken of the stars falling uh, but there will be signs in the moon and the sun, moon and stars and on, on the earth, distress of nations roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. Do you think there's any of that going on today? Men's hearts failing them for, from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. But then the next sentence is powerful. It's the choice that we, the free choice we have, Sam. We don't have to look with fear. True, true love casts out fear, we're told. Uh, but here it says, then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads. That's what I was, I was laying in my backyard, looking up to see the covering of the moon by the shadow of the earth. Um, then lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Amen. That's, that's the hope that we have no matter what's happening in our world today. Now, there are some examples. Uh, you remember John 13, 1. It, it, it's, it's when Jesus is going uh, to inaugurate uh, the moving of Pentecost, uh, or the Passover rather, to become a vegetarian meal. 
uh, he took bread and he took grape juice. Um, they became the symbols. But it, it's, it's before he did that, he washed their feet. But it says there he loved them to the end. In essence, he endured with, he came here. Think of it, for 33 and a half years, from a child on up, he came to be with us here. And, and um, he endured persecution. He endured ridicule. He, he, he endured the skepticism of the religious leaders. Um, if you, you, it's hard not to read the story of Gethsemane without seeing Jesus enduring. He came. He was in great travail, even to the sweating, as it were, of drops of blood. He asked his disciples to pray with him, but they were too drowsy. They were in a stupor. And he said, Father, if possible. He knew that his time had come. You know, there's, there's an interesting movement of he slipped through the folks that wanted to throw him off a cliff in Nazareth, his hometown, because his time had not yet come. Repeatedly, Luke particularly says his time had not yet come. Then it says he set his face to go. He wasn't going to go to the Passover, but it became aware to him that it was time was come and he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he knew that his time had come. And so in Gethsemane, he wept, he prayed, not demanding. He didn't try to arm wrestle with his father. Uh, I wonder how much he knew about the plans before the foundation of the world that wasn't accepted by faith alone for him. You know, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit planned the accommodation to help sinners be recovering. Um, but Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Now, we never quite hear the Father's answer because I think Jesus, Holy Spirit, was revealing it to him moment by moment. Three times at least he asked, take this cup from me. But if not, what did he say? Thy will be done. We're told in Zion of Ages that when he, he stood up and the mob was about to come and the disciples, he said, get up, it's time to go. And instead of scurrying to hide in the olive grove, he met his betrayer. He met those that came out with clubs and swords and spears. Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And you know, Jesus said, I am he. And I get such a kick out of this. They all fell down on the ground. I don't know what part of that they didn't understand. And he allowed himself to be taken to the high priest and the father of the high priest and, and to Pilate and to Herod and back to Pilate. And ultimately, he went to the cross. And as they were nailing him to the cross, not like other criminals, not even like the other thief, instead of cursing his persecutors, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing.
That prayer is not just for those guys. It's for you and for me. Do you know that we make necessary the cross of Christ every time we, we give in? Instead of standing firm in endurance, when we cave, we make necessary what Christ already did. I, I'm so glad that, like in Hebrews, it says, chapters 9, chapter 10, and I think in Timothy, that Jesus died once and for all. He only had to die once for the sins of the whole world, for the sinners from Adam until Palestine, where Christ lived and died to our day. He died once and for all, for all of us. And it's our privilege. I love John 1.12. As many as received him and believed on his name, to them gave he the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. Isn't that neat that he can do that for us? And so uh, Jesus is our greatest example. I, I think of Paul. If you go to 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul, um, he put up with a lot. And, uh, and I, I often think of what he said because he was sort of uh, trying to not defend himself per se, but to show that he was a true apostle, maybe more so than the other. By the way, the other apostles, apart from the John the Revelator, died martyrs' deaths, as best as tradition would imply, uh, because they stood firm. They were enduring. They were so impacted by the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension when the two angels said, why do you stand there gazing up? This same Jesus that you see ascending will come back again. Uh, the testimony of angels. But uh, here's what Paul said, and he's an example. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they the ministry? He's talking about false prophets, false messengers that were uh, counteracting his gospel. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times, and he wasn't talking about drugs there. Uh, three times he was shipwrecked. Uh, a night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. In spite of all of those trials that Paul went through, the bottom line for him was he went from Asia Minor into Italy and back to Palestine and back to Rome and, and was imprisoned and ultimately beheaded because of his love for the churches. He was a great example. Um, we're told when I now let's talk about us. I don't want to I'm not trying to paint a picture that makes it impossible for you to endure because I believe God can help everyone in this room to endure unto the end.
Do you, are, are you going to stand up and say, Pastor, <clears throat> you know, I thought about it and I prayed and I have an impression that I'm going to live till Jesus comes and I'm, I'm strong enough to endure. I'd be skeptical of your claim. So I'm not sure anybody can claim that. But will God give you the strength should that come to you? Yeah, God will enable us to endure. He that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. Um, you know, when it says here is the patience of the, of the saints there in Revelation 14, who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Second uh, Timothy 2, 1 to 5 says, we must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Um, do you know that I don't know how many of you have sailed, that's with a boat with no motor, just the sail. How many have done that before? Oh, quite a few of you have. Do you know when the most dangerous time is for a person that is sailing, particularly a solo sailor? Uh, it's not when the wind is howling and you're hanging on to the mask for dear life or hiding out down in the bottom of the boat. The most dangerous time for a solo sailor is when it's calm. There's a gentle breeze. You don't feel threatened. And one misstep and you fall off the edge. Or maybe you think, you know what, I'm going to go swimming. And a little gust of wind comes. And the boat starts to sail away. And you start swimming as fast as you can swim. And the breeze picks up and it keeps going and going. And you're lost. The same thing is true in our time when we're in relative peace and safety. In spite of all the pestilences and the wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and so on. Yet we may live here in America, when I, when I think of the countries where people are dying of starvation. Where people are being uh, put to death for their faith. And we, what did you do or what did I do to deserve to be born in the United States of America? after there had been um, a constitution and you know, all the rules that help establish separation of church and state in spite of the imperfections of our system, it's nevertheless a great place. Um, you know, the um, Winston Churchill, you may remember that he was the premier of um, Great Britain about the time of the Second World War. And I th first time I heard this quote from Winston Churchill, it was from a preacher, I think it was at Thunderbird Academy, in which he said that when Winston Churchill came to his alma mater, a school that he attended, and he was asked to speak for graduation. And he had that according to this part of the, this version of the story, he got up and said, whatever you do, don't quit. Don't ever quit. Don't ever, ever quit. On and on and on. Then he sat down, according to that version of the story. Um, I don't know if what I found on the Internet is more true than that part of the story. But I have uh, what is thought to be a quote from him. This was on October 29, 1941. And he came to the Harrow School, his alma mater, and he made some remarks it not, wasn't necessarily a graduation. And he said, uh, this is hopefully a quote, 
Never give in, never give in, never, 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 never in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor. That would be convictions of conscience and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. In that case, it was uh, Germany and the Second World War. Um, we stood all alone a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished. All this tradition of ours, our songs, our school history, this part of the history of this country, were gone and finished and liquidated. But they stood fast. Don't ever quit. And I want to tell you the same thing, to practice endurance. Um, in order that we can stand when Jesus comes. Um, one of my, um, you've all heard stories, um, and this one's going to be a dog story. Uh, have you ever heard of Bobby the Wonder Dog? <laughs> it goes back a few years, um, back to 1921. But according to this story, in August, uh, uh, Frank and Elizabeth Brazier, with their daughters, Leona and Nova, were visiting relatives in Wolcott, Indiana. You see, they were from Silverton, Oregon, a distance of about, um, what, what are they saying, almost 3,000 miles. Their dog, which was a, a two-year-old Scotch Collie English Shepherd mix dog, um, his name was Bobby, and he was attacked by three other dogs, and he ran away. After an exhaustive search, the heartbroken Brazier family were unable to find Bobby and continued, finally, their trip before returning home to Oregon, expecting never to see their dog again. In February the next year, six months later, Bobby returned to Silverton, mangy, dirty, scrawny, and his toenails worn down to nothing. He showed all the signs of having walked the entire distance, including swimming rivers, crossing the Continental Divide during the coldest part of the winter. Um, if, if he did that, it's at, le at least uh, 2,551 miles minimum, but it could have easily because he... Uh, you know what he did? That dog finally got on the track and how he got the odor. He went back to every rest stop that his family had stopped in on their way from Oregon to Indiana. Almost 3,000 miles. That dog had endurance. I want you to remember that story. Um, Carolyn, we need to be as enduring as Bobby the Wonder Dog, right? This isn't the cartoon character, the Wonder Dog or Super Dog or whatever it was they had. Maybe they still have it. I don't know. But this dog, he, he would have averaged 14 miles a day. Um, I, I don't understand that. You know, I, but every once in a while I get a video, my grandsons like the videos that talk about the amazement that there is of the infinitesimal 
skill that God has implanted in the brains of little birds and little animals that make them able to do what they do. Um, if God can do that for Bobby the Wonder Dog, I think he can do it for you to help you to endure through the trials, through persecution, through all the difficulties that happen in this life. Um, uh, when he got back to Silverton, Oregon, they wrote the story up in, in, in the newspaper and also in Ripley's Believe It or Not, and they even made a silent film out of the story. And interestingly enough, as the story got spread across the country, people who had fed and sheltered Bobby on his journey wrote the family to tell about their time with, with Robbie. And the Humane Society of Portland was able to use these stories to assemble a relatively precise description of the route that Bobby took. Endurance. Um, endurance. Um, we need that kind of endurance. And the, God, and the God we love will help us to have that. You know, back in 1965, when I was graduating from Pacific Union College, there was a pastor of the college church. His name was Pastor Scales. Uh, he contracted cancer. I was involved in the student, student association and class office. And some of us as student leaders went to visit him at the sanitarium hospital down the hill from the hill from Pacific Union College. I want to tell you something. Here's a man that is dying of cancer. But we students came to see him and you know who's cheering who up? He's cheering us up. We went away inspired and encouraged. Now, he died not too long after that. But he inspired us. Who inspires you to endure to the end? First of all, it's, it's this book, isn't it? But I hope that you have some friends around you that inspire you, that encourage you, that affirm you. And maybe the second question is, who are you affirming? I love the story of the man that was let down through the roof and Jesus forgave him of his sins and then healed him of being a paralytic. And it says Jesus looked up and he says when he saw their faith, the four friends that let him down through the roof, then he forgave and healed and rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes for their duplicity, their unreasonableness. So who inspires you to endure? I hope it's first of all God's word and his counsel to, to pray, to watch and pray, and to be ready. Every moment. Don't let things collect. Every day, keep your account up to date with God so that you can not in any kind of arrogance or pride or sensing that we have done it in fact, there, there's uh, one other thing, and then I'll wind this up. Um, two, two, two short quotes here. One is from uh, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 117. Because 
You know, we all have hardships. We've all lost people. Um, some of you have illnesses that are here right now. God in his great love is seeking to develop in us the precious graces of his spirit. He permits us to encounter obstacles and persecution and hardships, not as a curse, but as the greatest blessing of our lives. Every temptation or trial resisted and bravely born gives us a new experience and advances us in the work of character building. The soul that through divine power resists temptation reveals to the world and to the heavenly universe the efficacy of the grace of Christ. He helps us to endure sometimes through the trials that we experience, the heartaches. We often learn more through trials than we do when everything's going great. We learn, okay, okay, I, <laughs> it's terrible to uh, think of Bill Cosby maybe in this setting, but he did a comedy on Noah and the ark and the, the elephant handling the elephant's bathroom duties and stuff. And he's complaining to the Lord about all this stuff. He's got a shovel out the side of the ark or whatever he's doing. But then it starts to rain. And the rain pounds down and he's, all of a sudden he's quiet. This is my version of it. Then he says, okay, Lord, it's you and me. You know, sometimes when we face trials, we finally get our mouths stopped. And we say there's no place else to go but to trust in God. My prayer for you today is that you do that. I, I well remember uh, probably 30 years ago when I uh, was running in a 10K in Fresno, California. And I was uh, doing pretty good, but it was a hot day and I was up to about four and a half miles and I thought, you know what? You know, if you run a 10K, you want to save some kick for the end because you don't want to come in dragging your tongue behind you. And so I slowed down to kind of a fast walk. And uh, I'm moving up toward five miles. And um, then there were footsteps and I turned and there was this little old lady. She was probably about my age when I was 30 years younger. And she said, Sonny, don't quit now, we're almost there. And you know, she so inspired me that I started running and followed her all the way across the finish line. <laughs> we, need, we need to be that encouraging to other people and we need to look at models that encourage and inspire us to endure unto the end.